Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Peace and blessings, brothers and sisters. Brother Priest, today is April 22nd, 2020. And <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm coming to you. One moment. Okay. You are joining the online studio. You are unmuted and can speak. Excuse me. Gavin, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. So we are here today. The nation member, Brother Gavin. And I want to say this. The brother is knowledgeable in the area of um, healing medicine, or herbs, and what have you. And since I've known him going on five years, what have you, maybe a little longer, six years, um, he's always been into that. Before we even met, before he came into the nation, he's always been into that. He's been consistent. Um, he's, he uses the stuff for, for himself and, you know, just a good brother all, all around, just an all-around good brother. And um, I thank the Almighty for him. So, brother, you wanted to speak on some things that we didn't get a chance to complete the other day, but there's some other things you probably want to touch on. Um, so I'll yield the floor to you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for the time to have me in to acknowledge my um, my presence of what I do and how I think you know, when it comes to self self-healing. And uh, being conscious enough from when I was young, um, you know, just taking on certain um, techniques from my, my 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 mother and my father, you know, who have 40, I want to say 41 years plus uh, years ahead of me. So I guess that's what kept me always on my toes, being the, the last of seven children. And um, everybody has to fall in line, you know. You can't uh, you can't refuse certain foods or herbal remedies that we, you know, that my mother and my father used in the house growing up, you know, for cleansing. And you know, there were just dif- different thing techniques I grew up with, you know, when it comes to uh, nutrition. And my mother, at that, being a nurse. And one of my sisters becoming a nurse and my other sister in the mental health. And I could go on and on with family and my, you know, uh, relatives of ours, cousins and, you know, my aunts that were in the medical field and even a lot of close family friends that it was just like second nature to me growing up using certain herbs and 
formulations and just doing more research, I was always interested in the body and how the physical body is made up. And so I'm a layman in the sense of not certified in the medical or the health field or the um, any sciences that deals with healing uh, physically. But um, I, I just do it on my own, you know, and I just love it. Nevertheless, uh, the other topics I really love, I, I love quite a few different topics that I became good at over the years. But um, one of the things that intrigued me about the nation um, when I first heard about it, it was dealing with you know, mental self-discipline and dealing with government and, you know, governing ourselves as humans. And um, the biggest part of it is, uh, you know, dealing with commerce as a Living in the physical, we have to do with that, deal with that, I should say, on a day-to-day basis when we interact with other nations or just um, other individuals growing up, and, and you know, into into adulthood from a child. You always have to share things with your family or your loved ones or friends on, you know, that you grew up on your in your neighborhood. You know, with um, exchanging goods for services and services for goods and I and that that just um triggers a thought in my head about my mother from young I, I could remember probably from five six years old she's always been a uh person who, de- who dealt with um I, I want to call it like banking money and banking but without using the actual bank physical bank that we go to so she was like the banker in the community of friends and and family that I grew up around and people from our church that she used to collect, you know, uh, from from them, almost like a tithe. Um, and we, you know, my 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 parents are from Jamaica, so in the West Indies, they they it's very big. They they call it the um, partner money. Uh, you know, so partner like in P A T. I'm sorry, P A R T N E R. So partner money was like susu money that they call, I guess, in the African tradition, where you collectively, you know, bring money together and from you know gathering it from uh, the people in the community to uh, pool in pool in a, a money pool to create a bank for others to um, borrow from over time. So they save all together. And in an emergency situations or when one is ready to get their money back and purchase uh, uh, an item that they need or pay off a debt, you know, they had my mother as like the central banker of the whole money. So uh, I grew up with all of that. You know, to say that um, it leads towards the avenue of what Brother Priest and I was speaking about, which is dealing with the monetary system in the U.S. So if I could back up a little bit, Brother Priest, um, we were talking about the other day, this past Sunday, um, 
which was the date of, I think, the 19th of April. Uh, we had a, a meeting on the phone, which was more like a fellowship meeting. And since we're going through a pandemic right now in the world dealing with this virus uh, known as uh, COVID-19, which is short for uh, the coronavirus 2019, I guess that's when, towards the end of 2019, even though in 2020, when they first, I shouldn't say discovered it, but it more or less when it started to spread and got more um, uh, pandemic, I would say, more, uh, it, 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 it spread around the world real fast from that, that moment in time. It was notified to the, the uh, NHA, which is the National Health Administration in the United States, and the, w, the World Health Organization, WHO. So, you know, as everyone um, was speaking and presenting their thoughts, I was just, in, you know, thinking about financial part of all of this, you know, the commerce part of um, this pandemic. And, um, it, you know, it relates back to the exchange of goods and services, you know, from so, for some sort of commerce or some sort of um, reward. Uh, you know, back in ancient days, I guess you want to say bartering was, you know, one of the best ways to trade goods for, ser- for some sort of um, exchange of service. Is uh, you know, agriculture, livestock, or uh, different produce that we we call uh, produce today, which is uh, you know, oranges, apples, fruits, different fruits and different uh, vegetables. You know, of the uh, the olden age is not that far away from my soul, my personal. Uh, heart that I take to heart that, you know, growing up in my house, like I said, we did a lot of that stuff agriculturally, you know, around the house. Even though I grew up in a city, uh, you know, New York City, it, it, you know, we still had ways to plant in areas that had concrete. We would dig it up and create a little garden patch, you know, in our backyard where we had concrete. <laughs> so that's what was my first introduction to you know, gardening or being closer to agriculture like that. But nevertheless, you know, in ancient days, most people had acres of land or a acre at least uh, that surrounded their living space that they usually would plant fruits and vegetables and other agriculture. And it would be traded between families, especially if they were farmers, you know, if that was their um, business, you know, they would trade with other other families that had products that they didn't have on their farm. You know, so there was, it would be more like not an even exchange per se in um, quantity or per 
per, you know, item, but it would be even exchange uh, in quality of what needed to be, in, 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 you know, if it was a mass of uh, apples traded for oranges, you know, they would evenly trade the amount of weight and, and everything that was weighed had uh, an equivalent value to the monetary system that was used in that nation. So I'm always thinking on that level, Brother Priest, of um, in this modern-day time currently in 2020 of how we go to work as humans or as uh, people, I should say, on the planet for the exchange of money and, I should say, monetarily, um, we exchange our time for some sort of reward we call money, but you know, different nations, the, the, the money value system is, is uh, worth certain items or certain materials or even people that the money itself is worth that we're exchanging our money for. So I, I just wanted to elaborate on that a little bit more on this radio talk show. Um, not getting away from the crisis we're going through right now when it comes to our health, because both go hand in hand in a sense. I could connect the dots a little bit when it comes to our health and when it comes to um, getting sick and when it comes to um, even passing away, God forbid, anyone in our, that's listening to this, you know, who has lost a loved one or who, you know, who are, who's basically suffering from some sort of, you know, ailment that could lead to death. But even though dark thing to talk about is people who are in business for the purpose of someone being sick or someone being treated for sickness or um, someone who's dying or someone who has passed away um, is usually another person or another uh, individual that's going to make money off of that or profit from it. So, you know, as we were talking, like I said back on that day, some things came to mind that I've been reading lately. And, you know, over the last 10 years, I would say the information that I gathered in my head and, um, you know, dealing just with definitions in itself and um, history of the monetary system in the United States comes into play uh, very wholeheartedly at this point in, in you know, the 20th, 21st century right now that I realize that the monetary system in the U.S. is not backed by gold or silver. And I realize that it's backed by not only the oil that we have exchanged 
and produce in the United States to other countries and the other oil nations like the OPEC nations, the oil producing energy um, countries, um, we do exchange for certain oils or certain business that we exchange that uh, we give them versus our service to them by digging their oil out of the ground, like Saudi Arabia. We've been in business with them since the 1920s. Uh, prior to that, it was Brit- the, the British um, British Isles that British government, I should say, that was doing business with Saudi Arabia before the United States. Fast forward to now, I just said that if gold and silver, well, I didn't say that, but let me let me back up. So the United States um, economy today, I was saying, is literally your time traded in to work for the monetary funds that we get as a reward, whether it's every week, whether it's every day. Some people get paid daily, you know, their daily work, or some people get paid on a weekly basis, which is hourly broken down into hours. And then some people get paid um, on a monthly basis. Sometimes people get paid every two weeks, you know, uh, biweekly. But over overall, that money we, we, we look forward to, and getting in our reward for our labor or our, uh, you know, um, just our intelligence that we use at a job. Mostly it's not really physical labor. It's your intelligence is what you know. Um, you exchange that time for being in that moment for that monetary uh, reward is backed not by just your hourly base, but it's usually backed by some some sort of um, commodity that the, the country federally exchanges between individuals on a, a national GDP or a, uh, a or a domestic GDP. So uh, when you deal with domestic trade, you have livestock like cattle. Um, sheep, what else I would say, uh, even goat and pig. Um, what else could be a livestock? I want to say um, even horses, but, you know, most people don't eat horse meat. But when it comes to trading livestock in our nation with between different organizations or businesses, or between the government and the citizens, usually you have a, a number attached to it. There's a social security number or a tax ID number, some sort of um, brand number that, uh, you know, some serial number that is, you can allocate these items, but he's, the stock. Now, in the United States, we all know that um, you know, there was a time period of slavery or enslavement or indentured servitude that led into even um, sharecropping all the way until most people became employees known today. And throughout that whole time, there was an exchange of time, time and labor 
example, monetary wealth. And as I look back again and I look at the time frame of the early 1900s, during you know, World War One, prior to that they had a civil war, prior to that there was a revolutionary war, um, I want to say before World War II, you had a stock market crash and quite other few things happened. And the taxation, uh, the Social Security Act came into play, which was 1934. And I believe in 1930, well, I'm sorry, 1929 is when the stock market officially crashed. And between 1929, I would believe, all the way until 1934. And Brother Priest, you may could elaborate on why, about what I'm about to say, is that gold and silver at the time, excuse me, was backed, excuse me, the monetary system in the United States was backed by gold and silver in order to distribute the, 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 the paperback money in our economy or to create bonds, treasury bonds or treasury notes. It was backed by that sort of um, gold bullion and silver. And if you could chime in now, you probably could speak on it and elaborate on it a little bit more, why they were collecting gold and silver, um, Brother Priest, if you don't mind, at this point. Brother Priest, are you there? Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> basically, what happened was the United States tried to start off with um, being a legitimate country. So... The only law for money on the planet Earth is gold and silver. And they started borrowing from the international bankers, and they went into debt to the international bankers. So the only thing they had left to pledge was the persons. So the persons were earning earning gold. Persons are slaves, okay, in law even today. So what they were doing is they were trying to – so what they did was they had their persons give up all their gold and silver because the persons were getting gold and silver and they were purchasing or buying their way out of slavery. So what they did was they took all the gold and silver from the persons, the slaves, and they pledged that to the Federal Reserve Bank, which are the international bankers, for the debt that the United States owed. So the the Federal Reserve bank basically depleted all of uh, the Americas of being able to circulate gold and silver. So what has to happen is the United States has to work off its debt to the international bankers. And in doing so, once they allegedly do that, which they're not trying to really do, to be honest, but once they do that, then they can go back to using gold and silver as lawful money. 
So the, the legal tender that the people are using, the Federal Reserve notes, that is not lawful money. It is evidence of the debt that the United States uh, entered into with the international bankers. I yield. Thank you, sir. And the part of it that I would like you to elaborate, if you don't mind coming back and chiming in, is that there was a, some sort of law that was created for them to even collect the gold from the citizens or the so-called debtors or those who are persons are considered to be debtor slaves, uh, as we call it. Um, how are the people able to give up their gold through law? What law was was demanded of them to give back the gold? Um, I can't I remember, remember the law off the top of my head. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Basically, what happened was, which everybody has to understand, because this is still in effect. Um, what happened was, there were people over here that were quote unquote owned, which are the slaves, right? So, once they said, once the slave master said to the slave, the slaves, you got to turn over your gold and silver, they had no choice. Now, the law that was in place, I think you, I can't remember right off the top of my head. But what it did was, originally, this is how they, they kind of, I don't know that this was their motivation, but I'm going to say it. What they originally did was they traded the gold and silver for gold and silver certificates. Okay, so the gold and silver certificates look like Federal Reserve notes, but they, uh, they actually were backed by the uh, gold and silver that was in Fort Knox, okay? Now, <clears throat> what they kind of did was they made it seem like they were going to switch the gold and silver certificates for these Federal Reserve notes, and so by then, everybody had already turned in their gold and silver. So nobody was really in, in a, objection to it because they were already in a state of mind that gold and silver certificates were backed by gold. So they kind of like, if you can imagine, they kind of assumed that the Federal Reserve notes were backed by gold. Even though they told the people that they, they weren't, they told the people in, in the law, look, we're going to pull these, um, we're going to pull gold and silver out of circulation. We're going to swap these uh, gold and silver certificates. And then we're going to institute Federal Reserve notes. So that would be equivalent to, somewhat equivalent anyway, to today if they said, um, well, no more Federal Reserve notes. We're going to just use plastic. We're going to use plastic cards. So if they pulled all Federal Reserve notes out of circulation, you can imagine people probably wouldn't question it because they would be, okay, well, it's still the same thing. Well, that was the mind state that people were in. So if you understand that, that's why there was no real uproar about it about the fact that they no longer had lawful money because as far as they were, the common people were concerned, they were going about their everyday business, doing the same things they had been doing. You, you see what I'm saying? So hopefully that elaborates um, for you, brother. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, sir. Well, <clears throat> I just pulled up um, here uh, online about the, the gold scout. Excuse me, gold confiscation that was going on. So, 
the law that created this movement was in 1933. It's called the Executive Order 6102. And this executive order, it says, also led to the extreme rarity of the 1933 double eagle gold coin. The order caused all gold coin production to cease and all 1933 minted coins to be destroyed. About 20 illegal coins were stolen, leading, <clears throat> excuse me, leading to a standing United States Secret Service warrant for arrest and confiscation of the coin. So um, under this executive order uh, by the president at the time, um, it looked like it made it illegal for all persons. It says all persons are required to deliver on or before May 1st, 1933, all gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates now owned by them to a Federal Reserve Bank branch or agency or to any member bank of the Federal Reserve System. So uh, this, this also leads into what I was about to say, talk about next, which is the Federal Reserves. The, um, through the Federal Reserves, how the monetary system is being monitored and also being distributed to the people through the debtor notes that you spoke on just a while ago. So um, it says here, I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on this um, Executive Order 6102. It says it requires all persons to deliver on on or before May 1st, 1933, all for a small amount of gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates owned by them to the Federal Reserve in exchange, excuse me, in exchange for $20.67. It says, quote, which is equivalent to $408.00. 2019. That's per troy ounce. So under the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, as an amended, excuse me, as amended by the recently passed Emergency Bank, excuse me, the Emergency Bank Act of March 9, 1933, violation of the order was punishable by fine up to $10,000 which is equivalent today to $198,000 or up to 10 years in prison or both. So they made it a legal law to arrest people because of the Emergency Bank Act that they passed on March 9, 1933. Because under under the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, it was amended together with the Emergency Bank Act. Um, at that time, for it to be punishable, uh, $10,000, like they said back then, or 10 years in prison, or both, if you didn't return this goal that you possessed at the time, which was in bullions, gold coins, 
or gold certificates, May 1st, 1933. As we go on, I'll say a little bit more about this. It says, the order of 6102 specifically exempted customary use in industry, profession, or art, a provision that covered artists, juries, dentists, and sign makers, amongst others. So it looked like they were exempted from this act. Um, the order further permitted any per- person own up to $100 in gold coins, which was a face value of uh, five troy ounces, which is 160 grams of gold that was valued at $6,000 back in 2016. The same paragraph also exempted gold coins having recognized special value to collectors of rare and unusual coins. It says that protected recognized gold coin collections from legal seizure and likely melting. It goes on and on and on. Um, I, 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 don't, you know, I don't know if anyone gets the gist of what we're saying here. Hopefully you will go research what I was just looking at, and you could actually look it on Wikipedia if you want, um, online, Google it, and you pull up and you type in Google, I would say Executive Order 6102, which was um, the United States Presidential Executive Order back in April 5th, 1933. And it was by FDR, which is short for Franklin D. Roosevelt. And a lot of us who are, you know, historians or people who just know a lot about American presidential history should know his name. Um, It goes on and on. You know, I could go on and on for what took place back then. But like I said, I'm just going to fast forward what's going on today. And I'm thinking to myself, and that's why, you know, we, we came to the, to this point with Brother Peace wanting me to speak on this issue on the phone. And I, I do want, you know, I want to interact with Brother Priest through this phone call. So, Brother Priest, if you can, chime in again. Uh, you know, I, I want to ask another question that I asked before. I was like, you know, during that time when we were having this discussion this past Sunday when it comes to the COVID virus, and I was thinking about people passing away from covid who are employees or who are, you know, registered voters or who are registered citizens or residents of the United States, and that's, you know, um, having taxes being collected from them, from their paychecks. And um, I said, you know, these people passing away, people getting sick, all this distribution of money from the government as a stimulus is only, I think the max right now is $1,200. I don't know if they increased it, but it was $1,200 for a stimulus of people who are get these COVID virus uh, emergency checks because they're unemployed. And then, you know, people, like I said, are passing away. You know, people are, um, are staying out of work for, you know, quite a while now. People are being ex- um, exempt from work. There's a lot of people who are still working, but they're teleworking from their homes or from off-site 
you know, locations away from the job site that are still fortunate to to collect a paycheck, you know, for eight-hour work, uh, for eight-hour workday. But some people are just plainly not working now. And I think they're up in the, in the millions now, they're saying, people that are unemployed. So I'm just thinking, if you could chime in, sir, uh, Brother Priest, and elaborate a little bit about this question. So, you know, you got all these people laid off. People are, you know, pretty much dying, unfortunately, um, from the virus, uh, COVID virus. And there has to be some sort of recognition to um, insurance-wise for people to be covered, not only just individually, individual insurance, life insurance that people have as policies that they created from the jobs that they took or different, like, 401Ks and different special monies that they, they're getting paid out because of the situation that they maybe want to cash in on their monies or stocks that they want to draw early and you got penalties on stocks if you draw early. But nevertheless, people are, you know, pretty much pulling their money out of the economy on stock markets and, 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 and cashing in on their insurances and people are being buried and bodies are being – but how does the government benefit from all of this situation when it comes to people, like I said, getting sick, passing away, um, and and literally receiving money from government in some sort of stimulus package. How do they, in the long term, the government, federal government, how do they basically um, benefit from all of this? Brother Priest, I was um, asking you a question on that. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry about you. Yeah, um, I forgot. I had the headphone in and it gets uh, tangled up. One second. One second. Can you hear me? I can definitely hear you, sir. I can definitely Okay, great. So let let me just, I want to deal with facts, not opinions, not conspiracy theories. Here's the fact. The question was, how does the government benefit? Now, listen, for those who don't know this, you need to know this. Let's say you don't have a will or last testament. Let's say you don't have um, insurance. Okay? For every unclaimed body, Matter of fact, let me tell you, now I'm thinking about it. Let me tell you about something that happened, uh, I think this was 2007. Uh, I know, he was mentioning that he didn't understand why this guy died in prison. Now, everybody listen carefully. This guy died in prison. The prison would not let his body go to have a funeral because the guy's sentence 
was still in play. Now, let me explain what happens, or what is happening. The, the government, if you pass away without any will or testament, insurance, assurance, A-S-S-urance, if you have nothing like that in place, then what's going to happen is the government is going to first, that's why they had those court, those court uh, hearings, like um, probate courts and all that. Same thing happened with Prince. What they do is they seek out loved ones, relatives, offspring. They seek out children that could benefit from whatever you had left behind, okay? But in the, in the case where there is no will, like Prince had no will, no nothing did he have, they followed procedure and they did the probate, but the relatives, his brothers and sisters, received of his what he had. Now, let's say it's just a commoner, right? You're going you're gonna to pass away, no insurance, no assurance, no will, no testament. The government is going to seek out loved ones and relatives if you have anything of value. They're going to put out a notice. Now, they, done, they did this same thing. They still do this thing in the newspapers every week. You just don't get used to looking at it so you don't know that it's going on. They put out a notice. If there are any relatives or anything that, that can make claim to this this individual's stuff, you know, speak now, forever hold your peace. They give you about 30 days in the newspaper. Sometimes they give you 60 days, 90 days, whatever, and nobody steps up. Okay, what happens is they are collecting. They're still collecting. Let's say there's Social Security money there. Let's say there's pension money there. Nobody stepped up to claim it. I know firsthand because this happened in my life with my father, my biological father. Nobody steps up to claim it, right? They take the money. I'm going to compare this to music. In the music industry, there is royalty, right? So when they switched over to this um, digital world, before you would you would go through CSAC, SOCAN, ASCAP, BMI, one of those. To co- and those are, are royalty collecting agencies. Okay, now imagine the government is a royalty collection agency. It's the same exact thing. So when somebody is due royalties musically, whether they pass, meaning die, whether they just don't collect, they, they lost the contract or whatever, the royalties are still going to the same companies that are collecting, have been collecting the royalties. But and then they make an announcement to you and your family members to come and pick up your royalties. But the way that they announce it, our people do not look at these publications. We don't look at the legal publications. We don't look in the um, the notices in the newspapers that we read all the time. We don't go down to the, the county buildings, look at the legal notices on the billboard, the bulletin boards, excuse me, 
So we don't know that they said, hey, come get this money that's, that you can collect. So we don't know, right? So what do they do? They put out the notices. Oh, we gave you fair notice. Didn't you get the notice? Didn't you, didn't you know what to do? No, most of our people don't know what to do, don't know where to look, don't know where to start. So who gets that, who gets that money? It reverts to the royalty collection agency. <laughs> that's all that's going on, and it's not a big mystery. That's just one field of, of, of law that I'm talking about that's going on that you could be collecting, but you are not. Now, understand, this goes on to such a great degree with said minorities, Negroes, Latinos, even some Native Americans who are U- U.S. citizens, not necessarily those who are citizens of uh, whatever said Indian nation they are, but if they're U.S. citizens, they give you the opportunity to family members to collect the money. You don't collect it. You didn't even know it was there, and then they pocket the money. That's one of the things I can say. hope that made sense. Brother Priest, I got a question before you. You get you time off again. So they collect the money from those who are deceased or the ones who, um, you know, when you don't, uh, if you lose a job or if you get laid off from a job um, per se. But let's hone on specifically if someone loses their life. You're saying, you know, the most common person is, the money is being recycled back to the government. That's what you're saying? 100%. Okay. But, but wait, now. let me say this. Let me say this. There is a way, there is a way to tap into that money, but go ahead. So my second question is, if that's the case, number one, what is, this money that they're collecting because you're physically, you have been deceased and you don't, if you're not working anymore for that money exchange for your time, how could they collect money in your name when you're deceased? What money are they collecting? If I'm not producing any work anymore for that money. Okay. That's an excellent question. There's a couple of different things. First, as I talked about the guy that died in prison, they would not release his body to go to the funeral. They would, so what they were doing, what was happening was, forgive me for that. What was happening was the prison having physical custody of the body gets paid a certain amount of money. This is from what I was studying. They get paid a certain amount of money. When you go into a prison or in jail, and those of you that have been in there know this, they have you sign. So you, you're agreeing to this now. <laughs> well, most of us are. They have you sign a document about what, how the money is going to be dealt with that pertains to you in this economic trade. All right? So people that are not in the know, they go ahead and sign it, and what they're doing is they're signing away all monies that they physically are earning. Because remember, they're supposed to get paid something 
while they're in prison. They, most people don't know that. They're not supposed to be pennies on the dollar. I haven't actually been to prison, but I know too many people that have. They get paid pennies on the dollar, okay? Now, what happens is where does that go? Then times that times 100. So if they get paid 10 cents, times it times 100, then you know what it's actually worth in the real world. What happens is it goes unclaimed. That's the point I'm trying to lead to. The monies go unclaimed. In the case of the guy passing away in prison, they held the body so that the, the, the institution he was in could still generate economic Federal Reserve notes based off of the day of his sentence that he's supposed to be in prison. Okay, now, let's say he's, if he's discharged or, um, as you say, deceased. What happens to the leftover pension money? Think about this. Where is the leftover pension money going that is owed to the one who passed away? They don't let you get it. Where does it go? <laughs> I don't care if you're a, a relative or whatever. If this individual was owed a certain amount more pension money, but they passed away before they could exhaust it or spend it all, where do you think the money's going? It's going to the U.S. government. Here's the other part of it. You can, well, not necessarily um, pensions and, and things like that, but there are monies that are consistently generated based off of everything you have done in the legal system commercially since the age of 16. Things that you do not know are there and you can collect those monies. The state holds, each state that you're in holds an account with, like say this, when you were talking about the Social Security number. All right, the Social Security number equally acts as, a, as an account number. Okay, so whatever that Social Security number generated monetarily is held in that account. So if you pass away prematurely to exhausting whatever you can with your um, pension, your retirement fund, whatever, where do you think that money goes? It goes back to the government. Now, so, so yeah, I'm sorry, um, Salakia, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask you a quick question on that note. So you're telling me the next of kin, the, the person who's still alive, Next of kin that's still alive will not get the remaining earnings or monies that um, you know that you could have continued to, to collect if you were alive does not go to the next person of kin. They are under eighteen. Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello. Okay. I could, I could if they are under, if they are under eighteen, yes, it goes to them. If you're, if you're a child and it's your parent, it'll go to you. If you are over, if you're nineteen, <laughs> it's not going to you. You may be able to fight in law to collect it if you're nineteen years old. You may be able. To. I'm telling you from experience, 
So is this because, because you're still a minor? I'm sorry, sir. Well, because you're a minor, yes, you can collect. Okay. Once you are no longer a minor and you are considered a legal adult at the age of 18, where do you think the money is going? It's going to the United States. It's going back so if, to them. What if the person? What if that person had a spouse, a living spouse? Well, I'm gonna just tell you from what I've known. The living spouse can collect on certain things. Yes, they can. They can collect on certain things. That is definitely, it should be common knowledge about that. But there are some instances where if they're estranged, they're not getting the money. I mean, they can get it, but they probably won't because they don't know how to go about it. That's a better way to say it. I understand. You could continue to elaborate. You were going somewhere a little earlier. Well, what I was trying to say is everybody that is over the age of 16 in the United States of America has money that is sitting in a state account or something of that nature. If, if it's two cents, it's sitting there. Now, most of us have heard of this, but we don't know that we actually have some lump sum sitting somewhere in the state. Unclaimed money. So go right now, if you listen to this, go to the Secretary of State website or what have you, look for unclaimed money. Fill out the documentation that they have. You can download the stuff, fill it out, send it in to the Secretary of State or what have you, and they will tell you where there is unclaimed money. If your parents, like say your parents are deceased, but they were smart enough to have a will or something like that, guess what? You have unclaimed money you can pick up. If your parents did not have a will or a last testament or something of that nature, of course, they're not going to tell you that that money is there. They're not going to tell you. A lot of our deceased loved ones and relatives have left all manner of unclaimed money. Where do you think the money goes? See, in law, we have a responsibility as loved ones and relatives of the deceased. We're supposed to know the law. We're not supposed to have to rely on attorneys. We're supposed to know it. So we're supposed to be able to say, hey, this individual passed away. They did not give a legal notice of what to do with their money, of what to do with their estate, of what to do with their property. So what do you think is going to happen with it? It's going to revert to the control of the United States. Now, if you can find something that is, which, which if you do a sweep, you can find it. Do a sweep. Matter of fact, this is coming to my mind right now. I'm thinking about it. Let me just say it. You can go to the death records, go to property records in the county. You can do some of this online. Some of it you have to actually go into the indexed records in, like, the basements contingent upon how long your relative or loved one has passed away. So sometimes you got to go and look through the actual records the old-fashioned way. But 
you may find all manner of property, all kinds of stuff, property, money that's left behind by these loved ones or relatives that you can claim, that is open for you to claim. So what they do is they have they keep their records of it. They keep everything on standby, and they will use the money that you, like, like say, your, your deceased loved one. They're going to use that money to run their government, just flat out. But with any money that you can claim, it doesn't matter if they use it because, understand, the bank does the same thing. When you put your paycheck in the bank, do you understand? Hopefully we understand. You go to pull some of money out of the bank, and then the bank won't let you pull it out. Is because they're using that money at that time. That's why you can't pull it out. That's why you can't pull it out a certain amount of time, or you gotta have you gotta maintain. Listen to this, everybody. You have to maintain a certain balance in your bank account, or they will close your account. Why is that? Is because the balance that they require for you to to maintain is what they are using to do their business, whatever business they have. Sometimes they'll take your money from your account. You'll see it there. You know, you go type it in the computer, and you'll see it there. You'll see the balance that you can use and the amount that you cannot use, but it's still your money, right? What are they doing with it? They're giving out loans against it. They're using it to purchase things, all types of things. Okay, Social Security number, same thing going on with the United States government. Hopefully that makes sense. Shalom, Brother Priest. That makes a lot of sense. And I hope everyone uh, listening to the, the radio talk show on this topic is definitely uh, getting it. But I, I, that was just part one of my question that I had. Part two if you could elaborate, is that there's another side of it when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, when everyone earns from the day they're born to the day they die. It's 1934, the Social Security Act uh, created a taxation law on every person that was born in the United States that they accrue all the way until they're dead. It is is that a credit system from that time of the birth and records department collecting your birth certificates and ex- and giving you um, the uh, social security card to you individually as a as a parent or a guardian for the child that was just born and they exchange it with the birth certificate and give the birth certificate not just the birth and records but they they send it to the Treasury Department. That whole cycle exchange, is that for the purpose of a credit that you accrue from the day you're born to the day you die? Or is that a monetary value that you can cash in once the day you pass away? Could you please elaborate on it? Because a lot of people are confused and a lot of sovereign people and uh, all types of people try to make certain uh, investments in themselves by saying, oh, you got, you know, you could use the law to get money out of in, in your name. All you got to do is file for it and, and, and 
filed to the Treasury Department and the, and the Department of, um, uh, you know, the Justice Department and the Social Security Department, sending in your birth certificate, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I've heard a lot of that, and I heard a lot of people elaborate on it from when I was even young. You know, the, the a lot of the um, people that are not 5%, but, but are into um, being a more. Yes, I just merged. Yes, so I'm sorry, um, everyone. I just uh, got kicked off the line for a moment. But I was trying to say earlier, um, Brother Priest, that a lot of people, um, you know, they get into the frenzy of this uh, wanting to reclaim money in their name on another side of things when it comes to the credit that's being accrued from the day we're born to the day we die because of the Social Security Act from 1934 when they created a taxation law to send a uh, Social Security um, card serial number to the individual that was born in the United States to the parent for the exchange of the birth certificate when you register your child to the state that you you know you had a child you know, the state that you had the child in. So in doing so, that exchange, is that a some sort of way you could get credit back from the day you're, you know, from the day you're born to the day you die, when you pass away, your loved one could collect money that you built accrued? Is that a credit system or is that some sort of monetary system that you can collect money in? Um, could you elaborate on that, sir? Because a lot of people I've been hearing, you know, since I was a young, young guy growing up, you know, in New York, uh, New York City, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, the sovereignty movement of, of, of collecting money in your name. You got money that's built up, and you could get it before you die. And, you, know, you just got to file a certain amount of documentations and sending it to the different different departments, you know, uh, within your state or federal government that you could. Um, send these documents and receive this money while you're living. Is, is that a true statement or is that a confused, not understood statement that people confuse themselves and think that they could go down this this, this sort of avenue to, to collect this money? Or is there any money at all to be collected? That's a great question. Um, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. There is money that can be collected, not necessarily by you going down trying to collect it, but let me explain. The birth certificate is a bond certificate. It bonds the child. So you know when, for those who don't understand that, you know the United States will write up a bond and then They'll try to sell it to you. Well, okay. The same thing is going on for each person, child. So wait, so wait, so wait. Please, sir. Please. Uh huh. Are you telling me? I'm only asking. I know a little bit of what you're saying, but I want you to. I don't know if a lot of people just sunk in with everybody, but but you saying that. 
Are you telling me that every living body, person, living in the United States, I don't know about any other country, but here, and the mother and father guardian signs the birth certificate of that newborn child in the state they're born in, are they actually signing away their child to the state of, of in a sense of bonding them as a property to the state? Yes, yes. But but let me just say this. Because it's such a touchy subject, those who are hearing this, if you've never heard this before, those who, are, who, who know about this, they're going to villainize it. So, but yes, that is what what is happening. But on the flip side, understand the United States is borrowing against that child from the age of birth to the age of sixteen. Okay, so whatever they accrue by the time that child turns sixteen, they they borrowed against it. When you enter the workforce, understand this. At the age of 16, you're working off the debt that the United States took out against you and as a person, and in return, what they give you is they, they require that you work 50 years, which is a jubilee, okay? So if you look at it, 65 is the age of retirement. So if you do some general math, let's say 50 was the age of retirement. If you actually do, actually do general math, you'll find that you have worked legally 49 years from the age of 16 to the age of 65, which is a jubilee. It rounds off to 50 years. Okay, now what they do is, they give you, when you enter the workforce, a, an account number, which the people call a social security number in America. You know, like in, in Canada, it's called social insurance. So if you think of it as a social insurance, you know that when you have insurance, you're paying into insurance. Okay, well, when you get 65 and they give you a pension and you get your retirement funds, what they're doing is they're giving you a portion back of what you have earned for them. They're only giving you a percentage back. If they gave you everything that you earned for them, everybody will retire, probably billionaires. But because the people are not people, they are persons in law, and persons and human beings in law are something totally different than what you think in common language, they only give you a portion back. So you don't ever get all that was that you accrued in your lifetime, if that makes sense. So you're telling me from the day you're born to the day you become employable, those days that you're not on the record working, day one, that day you start working, they're collecting money or a credit from what you're worth 
money yeah. being poop. Yeah. So are you telling me that humans are worth some sort of money value or monetary value like livestock that I said earlier? Beef cattle, pig, pork, goat, the lamb. Are you saying that we are almost equivalent? And certain price, value, when it comes to the monetary system? Well, brother, I know you already know the answer to that. But, yes, that's what I'm saying. Read the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, and you'll see it. I see. I was just making a, a note of that so people can hear this. Not from my mouth. Some people sound crazy when they start talking this in the public if they're potentially not certified in talking on this manner. So I would say that. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, the the next part of the question is, um, is this exchange from the time you're born until the day you start working, is, is this value system that they created, did that start when they created the Social Security Act, when they stopped collecting gold, and gold wasn't really backed, I mean, excuse me, um, gold and silver was not the back the backer of our currency floating in the economy? Yes and no. Yes, it is in the modern sense, yes. It started not with necessarily the Social Security Act, but the Social Security number in general. So I'm, I'm stating this as an inventory number. So understand they had inventory numbers for slaves before they had Social Security, the Social Security right. Act, the Social Security number. They had inventory numbers for slaves. And... It's not personal. It's not. It's not personal. It's not to, to get so emotional about for us. It's to understand the reality of life. This is as real as it gets. Whether you like it, whether you dislike it, whether you believe it or you do not believe it, it is in fact in place and has been in place for centuries. So before the, the Social Security Act, I think that was 1974, and before the Social Security numbers they still had an inventory system that was doing the same thing. So if you think about what a slave is, a slave is one that works for no money. Okay, if you are bonded, which you are, and you are getting these Federal Reserve notes, and you do not know how to legally or lawfully change the status on the things that you acquire with those Federal Reserve notes, then you are, in fact, not getting paid because you're not getting gold and silver. You are getting debt notes. So you have to be able, which which they give you a chance every year when you fill out your taxes, but because most people don't know that, you don't know what's going on, you just, you know, fall in motion. You don't know that there are certain things that you can play, you can, claim every seven years, 
certain things that you cannot. If you know how to claim them properly, all of the property will go back to you. Right now, all of the clothes that you wear on your back that you went down and bought from the store, they do not belong to you. I know that's you think differently, but they don't belong to you. The house that you're in and you paid it off, it does not yet belong to you. That's why they give you a title deed. They give you a deed. They don't give you an actual title. Once you pay it off, they give you a title deed. What is a deed? Something that you do. What are you doing? You're working for what we refer to as BC Incorporated. Hopefully they're after you, brother. <laughs> well, it opens up another can of worms to ask more questions, if you don't mind. Brother, so, I, I, need, I need to take one more question. Did I got to get off the right. line? Can we, can we come back later this evening? Yeah, we can, definitely. Okay. Definitely. I'll take one more question, then I got to exit right now. Okay, so leading back to uh, when it comes to uh, individuals um, being equivalent to livestock, cattle, or being a slave, is that referring to only so-called people of Nubian background, excuse me, uh, people of melanated people that was brought here or that was here already? Used as slaves like the Native Americans or the so-called African Americans that were brought here, or is that for any nation that you want to become a citizen of the United States? Is that any other nation of people or any other so-called race of people besides the Negroid stock African descent or uh, Native Americans um, that descended from the uh, Aboriginal peoples of? Um, the continent of Africa or where they call today uh, the Middle East or in that region of the world, I should say. I know that's not, that's just a direction. That's not really a land, but in that region of the world that they so-called call the Middle East. Well, let's say you have prize horses and you know that the value of each horse is different. Okay, but they're still your property. So the most valuable horse in the workforce is the black horse <laughs> or the black person. Just listen to me. I'm using yes. precise language. The yes. black person is a status. It's not what you are, flesh and blood. Okay, so next would be the brown person. Okay, here's one fallacy that, that I want to clear up. Italians and Irish people were considered equivalent to blacks at one time in the United States of America. Matter of fact, the Italians were considered that even up as soon as, as recently as the 80s. Mm. People don't know that. The Italians are not considered to be, quote, unquote, white because they're not Anglo-Saxon. And mm. the Italians that I'm talking about are not Anglo-Saxon. I see. 
I'm not talking about the Romans. Hmm. The Romans now the Romans are not the real Anglo Saxons. The real Anglo Saxons are those that are over here being called Negroes, blacks, coloreds, you know, spicks, hmm. Latinos, wetbacks. Those are the real Anglo Saxons. But hmm. what happened was they switched seats with us in government and put us in enslavement. But what I'm saying about that is <clears throat> you think that because an Italian has a lighter skin than, than, than us that are quote-unquote black. But in law, if they are not biologically, just, just use your common sense out there. Are you going to make sure that some total stranger makes more money than your cousin <coughs> or your child, your offspring? Are you going to put a total stranger as a boss over your offspring? Hmm. No. That's just business. Not that you would not ever do it, because maybe this total stranger is more qualified than your child. But, but just think about it. Just overall, you're not going to do that. You raise your children to be qualified for the position. So they're going to be in a different economic bracket than your workers. That's just common sense. Now, <coughs> the reason why the Italian mob started is because of their status when they came into this country. <coughs> the reason why the Chinese mob started, and there's still active Chinese mob in America, particularly on the West Coast. People don't know this. There is a Chinese mob just as big, if not bigger, than the Italian mob. The Italian mafia has scaled down a lot. But the reason why they did that, we think they're just criminals because that's what we're taught to think. These were men that wanted to be men and earn their own way, and they had to find a way to do it, and these were warriors. So they're like basically... As a man, I'm going to earn my own way, and if you try to stop me, then we got a problem. And I'm willing to put up my life for it. That's why you see so many Negro men respect the mafia. This is what is going on unconsciously. But right. I want to say the so-called Negro, black, um, if you're a Latino black, if you're a West Indian black, if you are anything like that, Black Indian, so-called. You, so-called. Yes, thank you, sir. You are on the lowest on the totem pole. You are the lowest on the totem pole. Okay. So you are expected to generate the most money, not the most work. The most money. Because <coughs> there are people that work harder than Negroes now, particularly. You see, our Mexican brothers and sisters, they work way harder. They always have worked harder than us in this country. But their status has been above ours because we were the ones that generated the most. You really want to know why? It's because we're the best entertainers. Hmm. So if, if, a, if an individual who's a basketball player, football player, or a baseball player in the major leagues, get a franchise um, 
sneaker deal, sponsor deal, and um, you know become the leading player, ball player in that sport. Uh, is that equivalent to what you just create uh, just spoke on? Oh yes, by far. Because if you think about it, who gets paid the most money amongst our people? The entertainers. Yes. Why do entertainers make more money than doctors and scientists? That makes no <laughs> sense. That makes no <laughs> sense. All right. <laughs> okay. Us as entertainers, I love Shaquille O'Neal. One of my favorite of all time. This guy made what was it a hundred? He signed a hundred and twenty something million dollar contract, and he has to work. He he retires from basketball. He has to work. He sold his house, his houses. He has to get a job. When you see those people come on TV, they're they're coming on there because they need jobs. They're not coming on there because they want to be on there. Well, I'm sure they want to be on there and they want something to do that has to do with their sport, they're coming on there because they have to have jobs. They don't have an education that can take whatever money they made, convert the status on it, and, and make create wealth for, for generations that follow them. Hmm. We're, going in, we're going into a, another discussion that's like a part two. So I don't know. I think you have to go, and uh, my, you know, I guess we, we could conclude this. At a later date, because I, I I got more questions that was opened up with what you just what you just said, and I still got some questions from earlier that I'm not finished. You know, when it comes to the monetary system and us being individual stocks, or how do we relate to it from when we born all the way until we die, and how the government still makes money off of or some sort of um, creates wealth from your death. Or prior to you dying, even if you didn't have a job, you were like someone who never worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to talk about that category of people. Yes, sir. Give me a little bit. And I'm going to call you back, and we'll come back on the radio later this evening. No problem. Thank you so much, brother. You too. Shalom. Take care. Shalom. You too.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.